Thank you so much for tuning in to the Book People podcast. If you like this podcast, you can support us by purchasing your books from our website, bookpeople.com. You can order signed copies of all the books you've heard featured on the show and many more. Check out our events page for a full listing. Eugenia Vela, and I'm the Director of Kids Events and Marketing here at Book People, and it is my absolute pleasure and my privilege to welcome so many of these amazing authors that we get to host year-round, so just in case Tessa didn't mention it, make sure you grab one of our newsletters on your way out. We have some amazing events coming up in March, including like David Levithan and Jason Reynolds, which I'm just like, oh my god, this is my life. Uh, but one of the authors that I'm very, very excited to kick off our spring with is someone who you might all be a little familiar with. It is a person who is in charge of the books that we're here to talk about tonight. But more than anything, I think that she is someone who really encourages creativity and passion and enthusiasm for books, for just community. I have hosted her once before, and it's always amazing to see the way that people come out and just show her so much amazing support. So please join me in welcoming Marissa Meyer to Book People. People, I'm so happy to be back in Austin. Totally one of my favorite places to come visit. Um, there are so many of you, and I can see you tucked into all sorts of nooks and crannies. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Good. Excellent. Um, so we are here mainly to be promoting the brand new beautiful Lunar Chronicles, uh, which of course just got updated with fancy new covers. Um, so if you've been here before to hear me talk about about the Lunar Chronicles specifically, you're going to hear the same story again. Sorry. Um, but then at the end, we will have time for some Q&A. And I definitely welcome questions about Heartless and Wire as a Nerve and the Renegades, uh, as long as there's no spoilers. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. So, Lunar Chronicles. Tonight, I'm pretty much going to be taking you like way, way, way back. Lunar Chronicles happened so long ago. Um, and we're, we're going to take you on the path of Marissa Meyer. I'm going to tell you my story, um, which is fun because I haven't gotten to tell this story in like four or five years now. Uh, so it all started, oh, many, many years ago when Marissa Meyer was just a wee tot. <laughs> Um, truthfully though, I, to go seriously, like way back, I pretty much wanted to be a writer my whole entire life. Um, my, one of my very first words that I ever said was story. True story. Uh, my favorite toy when I was a little baby was a little like padded book that was shaped like a lamb. Um, I didn't have a stuffed animal. I had a book that I slept with every night. Um, and I just loved it. I loved books. I loved being read to. Uh, and as I got older and started kind of building my imagination, uh, I started coming up with stories of my own. And so uh, according to my parents, the first story that I ever wrote uh, when I was three years old was a story called Rosie and the Rosebush. Uh, and it was about a little girl named Rosie who one day fell into this rose bush and it transported her to the magical world where all of the rose creatures lived. Uh, and she had a grand old time hanging out with all of the rose creatures. And I asked my mom to type up the story for me. I obviously couldn't write yet. Um, not that smart. Um, and this was back, you young people won't remember, um, but back when computers were just a black screen with green text. <laughs> Adults, yeah, you know. Um, and so I asked my mom to type up the story and then print it out on paper that had these holes on the side that you then had to rip off. Old school, right? All the teenagers like, what is she talking about? <laughs> anyway, so she printed it out so that I could then color and illustrate the pages. Uh, and I evidently got really tired of drawing roses by the end of it. 
Um, but that was the first story that I ever wrote. And uh, it just continued from there my whole life. I loved writing. I was constantly coming up with uh, short stories and uh, plays. I would come up with plays and then force my little cousin to act them out with me in front of our parents. Um, I, as I got into my, my pre-teen years, there was a lot of really angsty poetry. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, but I didn't, I, the thing about it, wanting to be a writer, was that even though I loved writing and I knew this was my dream, I wanted to be published so badly, um, I was really kind of private about it. I didn't want to share my writing with anybody. Um, I, I didn't even really want to tell people this dream that I had that seemed like totally far-fetched. Uh, that started to change when I was about 13 years old and my best friend introduced me to the coolest show in the world called Sailor Moon. <laughs> right? Who are my moonies? Yeah. Woo, yes! Who has never seen Sailor Moon? Now you raise your hand, be proud, it's okay. We won't yell at you. Who has no idea what Sailor Moon is? <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> okay, so Sailor Moon, uh, it's a Japanese anime that was really popular back in the 90s. The story, the premise of Sailor Moon is that there's these teenage girls who meet this talking cat. And the talking cat tells them, they are reincarnated royalty from outer space, and it is their duty to take these new magical powers, they all get magical powers, and they must fight the evil monsters from the Negaverse and save the world. Well, mostly just Tokyo. <laughs> again and again and again. Uh, and I loved this show, uh, in part because growing up, I, I loved comics, I loved superheroes, but Sailor Moon was the first thing that I felt was really for me. You know, it was about girls who were roughly my age, and they got to be the superheroes, and they got to save the world, but they also like still had to go to school and do their homework, and they had crushes, and they had really cool friendships, uh, and I just loved it. And I really loved the romance. Uh, which is, of course, the romance between Sailor Moon and... Tuxedo Man! Swoon! He was dreamy, am I right? He got to wear a tuxedo and a mask and a cape. The rose, his weapon of choice were steel-tipped roses. How cool is that? Anyway, other girls, I don't know, who, who do girls have on their walls these days? Like One Direction, maybe? Oh. No, they're done. We're done with them. Who's it? Who's the it boy right now? BTS. Oh, yeah. K-pop, yeah. I had tuxedo mask on my wall. Yeah. Anyway, so what I loved about, about the romance in Sailor Moon was that these two characters, when they were just like normal high school students, um, you know, in their civilian forms, they hated each other. He was always calling her names and saying like, oh, you're so clumsy and lazy and all these horrible things. And then she'd throw a shoe at his head. <laughs> Take that. Uh, but when they were Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask, they loved each other. She was always swooning over him and, and he would quote poetry at and be like, you can do this, Sailor Moon. I believe in you. And it was so romantic. And I became obsessed with these two characters and I started writing stories about them, which is, of course, called... Fan fiction! Yay! Uh, you all know about fan fiction. I, back when I was 13 years old, had never heard of fan fiction. Uh, the internet was still relatively new at this point, if you can imagine that. Um, and, and so it wasn't a thing, really, at least that I'd ever heard of. I thought I was the only person doing this, and I would, you know, write out my stories in my little notebooks, but I still wouldn't share them with anyone, because... There was a lot of kissing and like, who am I going to show, my mom? <laughs> Don't think so. Um, 
Until one day, my best friend, the also the same friend who had introduced me to Sailor Moon in the first place, sent me a link to a website. And that site was called A Sailor Moon Romance, and it was a fan fiction archive. <gasps> my mind was blown. Turns out, I was not the only person doing this. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people doing this. People who, who loved Sailor Moon, who loved these characters, who were writing stories about them and sharing them with the world. And that meant that I could do it too. And this was huge for me. Uh, and it was the first time where I started to feel brave enough to actually start putting my writing out there. And so I did. I started putting some of my fanfics out on, on the website. And people actually started to read them and comment on them. And, and suddenly, I was getting really nice, encouraging emails saying, like, you know, you're really good. You should keep at this. Don't stop, et cetera, et cetera. And it was the first time where I'd ever felt like, hey, maybe this, this dream of mine to be a writer... Maybe it's not so far-fetched after all. Uh, and so I, I kept writing, and the more that I wrote and the more feedback I got, the more I wanted to keep doing it. Um, so now, fast forward about eight years, uh, I wrote a heck of a lot of Sailor Moon fan fiction. Um, I would occasionally take a break from fan fiction and try to write an original novel, thinking at some point, if you want to be published... You're going to have to write something other than Sailor Moon fan fiction. Uh, and so I, I would try. I would try different novels, and I'd get started on one, but then I'd lose interest in that, and then I'd try this other idea, and no, it's, it's not really working, and I'd try something else, and God, it's so terrible. Why does everything I write so terrible? And I'd get frustrated, and I'd always end up back at Sailor Moon fan fiction. Uh, so for me, like Sailor Moon fan fiction is absolutely what I credit with learning how to be a writer. It's how I learned how to write characters and dialogue and suspense and like chapters that ended in great cliffhangers uh, and all of the things that come with, with being a writer. Um, now, early 20s, I'm in my early 20s, uh, I've just gotten out of college, um, I've started in on my master's degree, and I'm still writing fan fiction, uh, and one day I heard about a contest that was happening on a Sailor Moon website, and the girl that was hosting the contest had a list of about 10 things. And in order to enter this contest, you had to choose two things from this list and include them in your short story. Uh, and I thought, well, that seems like a, a fun challenge. And I looked at the list, and the two things that caught my eye were to include a fairy tale character. Oh, good. I love fairy tales. That's a good one for me. Uh, and to set the story in the future. Ooh, I also love Star Wars. <laughs> so I ended up writing writing this story that was like a Sailor Moon, uh, Star Wars, Puss in Boots mashup. That was the, that was the fairy tale that I picked, was, picked, was Puss in Boots. Uh, and I wrote this story. It was a lot of fun to write. And I submitted it to this writing contest. Well, a couple weeks go by, and I come to learn that my story was one of only two stories that were entered into this contest. <laughs> and I got second place. <laughs> but I came away from it thinking, I love this idea of combining fairy tales and science fiction. Um, and back then, this was back in 2008, uh, and I I couldn't find that anybody had really done that before. And I thought, there is a lot of potential here. There's so many different directions you could take it. And I started to think, what if I were to write an entire series of science fiction fairy tales? <gasps> that would be so cool. So I had this idea kind of just mulling in my head uh, for a couple of months. And then one night, as I was falling asleep, I had a vision of Cinderella. And in it, she, she's your very typical kind of Disney-esque Cinderella. She's wearing her big ball gown, and she's running away from the castle as the clock is striking midnight. But in my dream, rather than a, a slipper falling off, her whole foot fell off. <laughs> 
And I snapped awake, and my first thought was, oh, she's a cyborg. <laughs> it's perfect. And I, I got so excited, and my head started to fill with all of these ideas and questions, and who is this girl, and why is Cinderella a cyborg, and what is this world like that she's living in, and is there a prince, and does she go to a ball, and what is her stepfamily like, and does she have really cute android friends? It turns out she does. <laughs> And I got out of bed and I just started filling pages and pages with notes to myself about this character and her story. And it started to come to me really fast. And it was the first original idea that I'd had um, in which I, I felt so passionate about it. And I thought, okay, this is, this is the one. I have to write this. I have to finish it. I have to try to get it published. Um, well, here we are. It was about August of 2008 when this idea came to me, uh, which means it was a few months before November, which happens to be National Novel Writing Month. Who are my nanowars? I know you're out there. Yes, okay, excellent. Um, if you are not familiar with National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo for short, uh, it's this like huge challenge that takes place every November Hundreds of thousands of people participate, and it's really fun. If you're an aspiring writer, I highly recommend looking into it. Uh, the challenge is that you try to write a 50,000-word novel during the month of November. Um, and I had done, uh, here in 2008, when I had this idea, I'd done it twice before, both times with fan fictions. And so I'd succeeded. I'd written my 50,000 words. I felt really confident that, yes, I'm capable of, of you know, doing this challenge. Plus, I had this cyborg Cinderella story that I was so excited about. So I felt really good going into it. But then I heard about another contest. And I really like contests. <laughs> and this one, it was, the details are kind of vague in my memory because I wasn't taking notes back then. I didn't know I'd be giving this speech in 10 years. Um, but it was something along the lines of the, the Seattle area person who was like in charge of NaNoWriMo in that area uh, was friends with a director who was going to be involved with a new season of Star Trek. Okay, And they were having this contest that the Seattle area writer that wrote the most words that year could win a walk-on role in an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> what? Okay, so if that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, let me tell you about my family. <laughs> Uh, I'm a nerd, if that hasn't become clear yet, um, but I am not the biggest nerd in my family. The biggest nerd in my family is my Uncle Bob. He is also like the coolest human being and totally my idol, uh, and he's a huge, huge Trekkie. Uh, for example, when I was growing up, whenever there was a new Star Trek movie coming out, we would all go to the midnight opening show in cosplay. <laughs> That's what we do in my family. Uh, so there's pictures of like cute little eight-year-old Marissa as a Klingon. Uh, also, my Uncle Bob has converted the attic of their house into the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. I know. I told you, he's the coolest person. Um, so... When I heard that I could potentially be on a Star Trek, I was like, oh, challenge accepted. Uh, and so, Building up to, to that November, um, I did a little research and like tried to figure out, okay, so when the people who overachieve, who write more than the 50,000 words, like what are some of the biggest numbers that people have hit or what's kind of doable in a sense? And, and I did a little bit of research and I decided that to have a really solid chance, I was going to have to write not 50,000 words, but 150,000 words which breaks down to 5,000 words every day. So, okay, I, I wanted to be as prepared as I could. 
Um, by this point, I'd figured that it was going to be not just the Cyborg Cinderella story. Uh, I knew it was going to be a four-book series. I knew what fairy tales I was going to tell. Uh, so I outlined every book in the series. I created character profiles and setting profiles. I had inspiration boards. Uh, I did everything I could do to try to get ready for this big challenge. Uh, November 1st comes, and I, I started writing. Uh, I would write. I would get up at 4 o'clock every morning to write before I had to go to work. I was writing on the bus to work, on my lunch break, on the bus home from work, in the evenings, on the weekends. Every chance that I got, uh, I, was, I was working on these books. So November 30th comes, and I submit what I had done to the, the word count processor things on the NaNoWriMo website, and it tells me that I have written 150,011 words. <laughs> yes! Success! Uh, and I was so, so proud of myself, um, not just for hitting, you know, this crazy word goal that I'd set, um, but also because it was the first time I'd actually finished a draft of a novel. Um, in fact, I'd finished two. In that month, I'd finished the first draft of Cinder and Scarlet uh, and about a third of Cress. Uh, and I thought, okay, here we go. My dreams are coming true. I have this book. Now I can send it to New York. And clearly some publisher will think I'm brilliant and want to publish me. And, you know, all will be well in my life. And then I read what I'd written. <laughs> and as you fellow writers know, it was not brilliant. <laughs> Um, first drafts by their nature are usually terrible. When you write a first draft in essentially two weeks, it's really terrible. Um, as was the first draft of Cinder. It had, it had huge, humongous plot holes. It had subplots that meandered all over the place. There were scenes that made no sense that were clearly just me and my addled brain trying to add words, any words I could add. Um, and, and it was a mess. But I still really, really loved it. And I, I loved it even more than when I'd started. I'd started to really come to care for these characters. Uh, I thought there's still a lot of potential here. And so I scrapped that draft. I went back to the start uh, and rewrote it entirely from scratch. Um, then went through multiple rounds of revisions and editing. Uh, had multiple critique partners offer me feedback, et cetera, et cetera. Um, almost two years later, I, I felt like, okay, I have this manuscript and I think I'm done. I think this is the best that I can do right now. Let's see. Let's see if we can get it published. Um, and so the first step uh, to getting published these days in this day and age, unless you want to do self-publishing, that's a different story. To be traditionally published, the first step uh, is generally to get a literary agent. So I wrote up my query letter. I've, I'm an author. I've written this book. It's about a cyborg Cinderella. It's really good. Please, please, please represent me. <laughs> that's not what it said, but essentially that's what it said. Uh, and I sent it off to agents, and about two months later, I heard back from the very first agent that I had sent it to, and she loved it, and she offered to represent me. Oh, hallelujah. Um, from there, she and I worked on the book for about two weeks, uh, and it's then her job to take it to publishers. Uh, my agent took Cinder and the Lunar Chronicles to publishers on a Friday afternoon. We had an offer to publish the series the following Monday. I know. What is exactly the response there? <laughs> um, that doesn't happen, like, ever. It's a really, really unusual thing, but that is what happened with me. It was very, very fast. Um, my favorite part of that story is that the offer actually came in on November 1st, 2010, exactly two years to the day that when I started writing it. Um, so it felt very meant to be. And of course, Cinder went on to become my first published novel. Hooray! Which is why I get to be here talking to you guys. But I know, I know, you're all kind of like, okay, you got published, nicely done, but did you get to be on Star Trek? 
<clears throat> wah, wah. <laughs> I know. I did not. I came in third place. <sighs> However, turns out they never ended up making that season of Star Trek. <laughs> so jokes on them. <laughs> Um, and true, I mean, not that I wouldn't still love to be on Star Trek, you know, Hollywood, call me <laughs> anytime. Um, nevertheless, the, the ultimate dream was always to be a writer, and I'm, I'm so happy that, that I get to live this life uh, and live this dream that I've wanted to do my whole life and get to share it all with you guys. So thank you. Okay, so now, I don't know like if this is a thing that's been talked about, but I think you guys all got to vote on a fairy tale. Yes. Yes, everybody cast their vote. Uh, I am going to spin you a tale um, of your choosing. I don't know who's in charge of figuring out. Hello. How are we doing over there? Good. You look comfortable. Rapunzel, okay. Interesting, okay. That is also the, the favorite of my five-year-old children. <laughs> Just FYI, that's one they always want to hear. The one I tell you is going to be a tiny bit different from the one I tell them. <laughs> okay, get in the right mind space. <laughs> Once upon a time, there lived a poor man and his wife. And after years and years of wishing and wishing to have a child, one day they discovered that the wife was pregnant. Well, as many pregnant women happen to have, uh, she began to have terrible, terrible food cravings. In particular, she was dying for this particular kind of lettuce called rampion. Well, it just so happened that the only place where Rampion grew in their small village was in the garden of a wicked enchantress. And the garden was surrounded by tall, tall walls that no one could enter. But as the weeks went by, her cravings became more and more intense until one day the wife said to her husband, I must have some Rampion or I will surely die. Never wanted a salad quite so bad myself. <laughs> And so the husband, being a good, caring husband, determined that he would get his wife what she needed. And so that night, he climbed over the wall into the witch's garden, and he gathered up a couple handfuls of rampion, and he took them back to his wife, and she had the most amazing salad, the salad of her dreams. And for a short time, her cravings were satiated. But again, the weeks went on, and her cravings came back. And this time, she needed it even five times as much as she'd wanted it before. And again, she told her husband, I must have more rampion, or I will surely die. So again, the husband that night climbed over the wall into the witch's garden. But when he dropped down to the ground, he froze in fear for the enchantress stood before him. And she said, how dare you come into my garden and think to steal my rampion? And the husband fell to his knees and pleaded for mercy. And he said, my dear wife is pregnant and if she doesn't have some of this rampion, she will surely die. And the witch thought about it and said, okay. I will allow you to take as much of the rampion back to your wife if, when she gives birth, you give the child to me. And at first the husband thinks, huh, lettuce, baby. <laughs> but ultimately he agreed. <laughs> and he took the rampion back to his wife, and again, her cravings were satiated, and not long after that, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And the witch came, and they put the child into her arms, and the witch promised that she would love her like her own child, and she named her Rapunzel, which is another word for rampion. It's all lettuce. <laughs> As is Cress. Oh, Marissa Meyer is a genius. <laughs> okay. So the witch takes 
a child and she names her Rapunzel and she loved her darling Rapunzel very, very much. However, as Rapunzel grew older, she became more and more beautiful until one day it crossed the witch's mind that if this continued, someday there was going to be a boy and the boy would fall in love with her darling Rapunzel and he would take Rapunzel away from her. And she could not allow that to happen. So she did what every practical mother would do. She had a tower built deep in the forest. And that tower had no doors and no stairs and she stuck Rapunzel up in the top. And when she wanted to visit her dear child, she would come to the base of the, t the tower and she would sing up, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair that I might climb the golden stair. And while well, by this time Rapunzel had grown long, beautiful locks of golden hair, and she would hook the hair around a hook over the window and let it fall down and the witch would climb up. Well, it comes to pass that one day a prince happened to be meandering aimlessly through the forest. If you read many fairy tales, you might know that's what princes do. <laughs> and as he's wandering, he overhears the most beautiful singing. And he follows the sound to a base of this tower. And he walks all around the tower, but he can't find any way to get inside. And so he sits and he listens. And the more he listens, the more he becomes enamored with this beautiful singing. Well, as he's waiting, who should arrive but the witch? And the prince hides himself behind some bushes to wait and listen. And the witch comes and she sings up her song and Rapunzel lets down her hair and the witch climbs up and they visit for a little while and then the witch leaves. And while well, the prince thinks he can try his luck and so he comes out of hiding and he too sings up Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair that I might climb the golden stair. And Rapunzel thinks, you were just here, witch. <laughs> but whatever. And she lets down her hair and the prince climbs up and when he gets to the top, Rapunzel was very frightened. She'd never seen a man before. But the prince spoke to her so kindly and sweetly and said, you are the most beautiful girl I have ever seen and your voice has completely enchanted me. Will you please be my wife? <laughs> she says, I don't think any better offers are coming. <laughs> So she agreed. However, she tells the prince, I have no way to leave. And so she asks the prince that every time he comes to visit her to bring some rope and she will sew the rope together until she has a ladder and they can leave together. He's a prince. Did he not have access to a ladder already? <laughs> Questions of the ages. So the prince agrees and he came back to visit her as often as he could and they became more and more in love. Until one day, as the witch was visiting her dear Rapunzel, she began to notice something, something a little odd. It seemed that Rapunzel was getting larger. For Rapunzel was with child. And it occurred to the witch, that means she was pregnant. <laughs> FYI. Uh, and it occurred to the witch that she was being visited by a man. <laughs> she said, I thought that I had kept you from the whole world and still you've managed to deceive me. And in her fury, she took a pair of scissors and she cut off Rapunzel's long hair and she cast Rapunzel out into a great desert. And then she waited. And sometime later, the prince arrived, and he again sang up his song, and the witch let the hair tumble down, and the, the prince climbed to the top, but of course it was the witch waiting for him. She said, ha, you thought you were coming to your bird, but she is no longer in the nest, and you shall never see her again. And the witch pushed the prince out of the top of the tower, and he fell down to where bramble bushes had grown up around its base, and two of the thorns poked out his eyes. Uh-huh. That wasn't entangled. <laughs> and the poor prince was left to wander blindly, begging for many, many years. Until one day, he happened into the same desert where Rapunzel had been cast out. And as he's wondering, what should he hear 
but the most beautiful singing. And he immediately recognized the voice of his Rapunzel, and he followed the sound, and Rapunzel was singing a lullaby to the twins that she had since given birth to. And when Rapunzel saw her dear prince, she immediately recognized him, and she fell over him, and she began to weep. Two of her tears fell into the prince's eyes, and he was magically cured. And the prince took Rapunzel and their dear sweet children, and he put them up on a horse. I don't know where he got the horse. (laughs) And they all headed back to his kingdom, where they were warmly welcomed and finally wed. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. All right. Uh, All right. Would anyone like to ask any questions? I had fun writing lots of characters in Renegades. Um, As far as, like, who I identify with the most, probably Ruby. Um, I mean, there's no Sailor Moon in the world of Renegades, but there pretty much is. (laughs) Um, Don't think I was too subtle about that. And so she's, like, totally a fangirl. She was very much me as a teenager. Um... But yeah, I mean, I had I had fun writing a lot of the characters. I think Queen Bee was also one of my favorite ones to write. Um, she's just so melodramatic. I, love her. I, I know, I love her too, and I just love writing characters who are like super, super over the top. They're so great. Good question. Um, currently, I have so many other projects that I'm working on that. I'm not in that world anymore at the moment. Um, But there's definitely, like, I know so many stories that could be told. Uh, Obviously, the end. I know. I know. Um, And I did want to leave myself some room to come back to the world um, if I ever decided to. Uh, I also think I'd love to tell at some point um, the kind of the prequel with Captain Chromium and Ace uh, and how they became arch enemies, um, how the captain and Dread, Dread Warnin fell in love. Like, I'd love to tell that story. Um, so maybe <laughs> is, I guess, my official answer. Um, it's not in the works, but it's a possibility. My outlining process. Um, so, okay, so I get an idea. And it's brilliant every time. Uh, and if it, if it does seem like a really good idea, then it'll kind of hang out in my head for months or years, depending on what my workload is like. Uh, And when it gets time to work on it, um, usually for just a couple of days, I'll just sit down somewhere really cozy um, and have my my notebook and a pen and just kind of start brainstorming and spend a lot of time daydreaming and thinking, okay, who are some characters for this story and what are some interesting settings that I can use and uh, trying to come up with as many scenes as I can. uh, and think of, okay, what are some obstacles that I can put in the way of this character? And, and anyway, just trying to generate as many ideas as I can for that story. Uh, and then I weed out the best ones from the not-so-good ones and start kind of plugging them into order. And like, okay, this seems like it should come near the beginning of the story. This, this is clearly more of a climax thing. And once I have things all laid out, then it's time to start connecting the dots. Well, Gatlin City is a fictional city, um, but it's very much inspired by Manhattan, New York, and or Gotham, also in- <laughs> which is also, of course, inspired by Manhattan, New York. So, yeah. I can indeed. Thank you for asking. Uh, yes, I have so many more books to come, you guys. I will always be working on a new book. Uh, my next book will be out this November. It is called Instant Karma. November. November. Everything's in November. It's always November. Um, Instant Karma. It is my first foray into contemporary romance. Uh, It's about a teenage girl who lives in this quaint little coastal beach town who overnight uh, develops the magical ability to exact instant karma on the people around her. Um, It's very vicarious fantasy driven. Um, and she she makes really good use of this power, uh, you know, punishing the the snobs and the bullies and all of these people that she doesn't like. But there's one boy who is her lab partner in biology, and she can't 
stand him. But every time she tries to punish him for something, it backfires. Uh, so she has to figure out why. And then there's romance. Look. He actually is not very much like Tuxedo Mask at all. But he's great. And I, I loved, I really, really enjoyed writing this book. So I hope you guys will like it. How would I define hero and villain? I mean, I think that's kind of the whole point of a lot of my books is that there aren't clear definitions. Um, I, I, with very few exceptions, um, I think that for the most part, people try to be good um, and people do what they believe is right. Even people who do things that to you or I seem horrible and evil in their mind they're doing what they believe is right. Um, of course, there are sociopaths and there are exceptions to this, this rule. Um, but by and large, uh, you know, we all, we all want acceptance. We all want to take care of our family. Um, you know, there's, there's reasons for doing things. And, and so that's kind of one of the, the big things that I kind of try to tackle in a lot of my books is that, that gray area and shining light on, um, you know, just because seem, something seems, you know, evil or wrong or villainous, uh, if you could look at it from the other perspective, you might see things differently, which is not really an answer to your question, but... Okay, Chris Pine Kirk, or... Uh, <laughs> which, which Kirk are we talking about? Either. Yeah, I mean, I'm Chris Pine Kirk would probably be... I mean, he's so dreamy. <laughs> but I really love Picard, too. I have not seen the new Picard. My uncle, Bob... Every time I see him, have you seen Picard yet? Have you watched Picard? I'm like, I don't have whatever streaming service that's on, but evidently I need to watch it, and so do all of you, according to Uncle Bob. It's really great. Uh, she asked, when I kill a character, am I sad? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes I'm incredibly sad. Um... I mean, I, 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 don't know if I hate trying not to spoil things, um, but in Heartless, I mean, I cried. I cried and cried and cried. Yeah, I know. And even, I mean, I knew it was coming. I knew it was going to happen, and it, it did nothing. It did nothing to prepare me. Um, yeah, and there's also a couple of deaths uh, in Renegades that were, that were really hard. I haven't cried. I mean, that was, Heartless was the only time, like, I actually cried. Um, but other deaths uh, have definitely definitely been difficult and are difficult to write and yeah can take some time to recover from and then sometimes they're just fun <laughs> oh golly I don't I don't remember <laughs> I know at one point Kai had a younger sibling yeah which I think started out as a boy and then became a girl and then I was like nah she we don't need them at all um so that that was a thing at one point but um yeah, I don't know. I know in the first draft, Kai and Cinder had their first kiss like 50 pages in. It was like, I was so impatient. <laughs> like, I just want to write kissing. Um, yeah, so obviously that didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I honestly don't really remember. How did I come up with the Renegades trilogy? Um, okay, so the idea for Renegades started... Uh, way back when I was on tour, book tour, for my second novel, Scarlet, and I was going to a book signing, um, and so I'm sitting in the back of this car, and we passed by, uh, like, a really big construction zone, and there's a fence around the zone, and there's, like, one of those coming soon to this location signs, and I just caught a glimpse of this sign out of the corner of my eye, and I thought that it said, coming soon to this location, hero school. <laughs> cool. Um, and I got really excited, and I you know, did the big double take, and it said something totally different. It had nothing to do with heroes or schools. Um, but my mind was already off and running with that. Um, I, I was a big like comic book fan, uh, a superhero fan as a kid, and X-Men was like one of my first loves. And so I immediately started to think of, you know, Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Children, and, you know, and, and all, I thought, oh, it would be so cool to, to go to a school for superheroes, how awesome would that be? But it'd be even cooler to go to a school for supervillains because that's where the cool kids would hang out. 
Uh, and and so I started to think about these two these two schools, these two ideas, and I thought, you know, but if these two schools existed, they would obviously have a really intense rivalry. Well, what if a girl from one school met a boy from the other school and they started to fall in love, not realizing that they're supposed to be enemies? Um, and that, that was the idea. That was the seed of the idea. Uh, and I tried really hard. I, ran, I wrote four complete drafts of Renegades trying to get the school thing to work. Um, there was one draft that was like very like after school Disney special um, where there was like all this high school melodrama going on and I remember a big part of the plot in that draft was that every year the villain, the kids at the villain school would steal the mascot from the hero school <laughs> which made them so mad uh, and like them having prank wars against each other. Obviously none of this exists in the current book. Um, so I, I eventually gave up on the school thing and took it out. But that idea of a hero and villain falling in love was kind of always at its core. Okay, well, I'll just go with the first one that comes to mind um, is the throne room scene in Winter, um, where, where Cinder, you know, jumps, runs off the balcony into the lake. I had that scene in my mind, like, from the very beginning. Um, and it was so clear and so cinemagraphic um, and uh, like by the time I finally got to write it, it there was like so much relief and like yes this is the scene that it's all been building to this moment um, and so I, I was really really happy and loved how it turned out. You can indeed find my fan fiction somewhere if you want to read so much Sailor Moon Tuxedo Mask Kissing <laughs> um, including the, the Puss in Boots story is still out there. Um, it is all on fanfiction.net. Uh, my pen name was Alicia Blade. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Advice on world building. Um, so for me, I, I don't try to tackle it all at once. Um, for me, it works to kind of come at world building in, in chunks. Uh, so for example, like when I'm doing my, my pre-writing, when I'm outlining the book and just kind of figuring out the world and the story, um, I, I'm asking the big questions, you know, what is, uh, what are the, what is the, the city like? Is they, are they on the coast? Are they in the mountains? Um, what is the political sphere like? You know, the, the kind of big overarching things. Uh, and then as I'm writing, I'm kind of starting to uncover, you know, zooming in on what are some of the cultural traditions, what are maybe some holidays, what do people wear, what do they eat, uh, and then... On, on further drafts as I'm revising or getting into kind of the editing and the polishing of the text, then I'm looking for more of the, the nitty gritty details. You know, what are the smells wafting through this marketplace? And, you know, what are the things that you're hearing? And, you know, and so kind of a, a top down approach um, is, is how I tend to think about it. Good luck. World building hard. <laughs> My favorite superpower from Renegades, um, probably Adrian's. Uh, I am not gifted artistically. I really, really admire people who can draw um, or paint or any of that. And so I really loved writing a character um, who's not only just incredibly artistically talented, but that can bring that art to life. And it just had so much potential in so many different places I could go with it. Uh, and yeah, so, so that was... That's probably my favorite. Who are you pointing at? This one right here? All right. Go for it. You, you have advocates in the audience. <laughs> Who's your favorite couple in the Lunar Chronicles? <laughs> Scarlet and Wolf. Let's take a poll. Who are my Cinder Kai fans? <laughs> Scarlet and Wolf. Crescent Thorn. I know. They are always the loud ones. <laughs> Jason and Winter. Yay, Jason and Winter represent. Um, any eco kinny? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> 
them all. Um, I feel like with romance, I can't, I can't write the, the romance story until I myself feel like I can, I can fall in love with these characters. Um, and so by the time I'm writing them and, and hopefully get to that happily ever after, like I'm so committed to every relationship. Uh, I have written the, the first issue of Rebel Z. It exists. Um, and my publisher has it. And the plan is to do... Something. We don't know what. It's going to turn into something. Um, it's been... I, I know. And Oh, there's more. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's been talked about. They might, like, print it as a standalone thing and offer it to, like, if you pre-order one of my future books, then you'll get a copy of it. Um, or there's been talk of maybe having it printed in possibly the back of, like, the Supernova paperback. Um... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. The strangest story idea I've ever had. I mean, I, I don't know because the really weird ones I ultimately write off. Um, but I keep everything. That would be so fun. You know what I should do? Because I keep a file on my computer of every idea I've ever had, 95% of which are awful. Um, but it'd be fun. I should like start an Instagram thing where I just like post these totally random weird thoughts that seemed like a good story idea when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can remember any that I that I hate because the only ones that stay in my mind are the ones that I actually like and you'll have to wait for those. <laughs> I don't know. Want me to tell you what the weirdest dream I ever had? Okay, yes. so I had, this was when, when I was like just out of college because I remember I was living with my cousin at the time um, and I had this dream where out of nowhere I gave birth. <laughs> to an acorn. <laughs> and I had so much guilt that I had not named my acorn. And I had this like little lid of a box that my acorn lived in and just rolled around in. Um, and, and so I was like racking my brain trying to think of a name. There's got to be a name for this child of mine. <laughs> uh, and then I went out for a walk and my cousin, who I was living with, lives really close uh, to my grandma. And so I was going to take a walk to my grandma's house. My grandma's name is Sam Lee. My middle name is Lynn. And so as I'm going to this walk, I thought, oh, Sam Lynn, which is kind of pretty, right? Um, and so that was the name that I gave my acorn. And truly, for years after having this dream, I was convinced I was going to name my first child Sam Lynn. Husband vetoed it. Um... <laughs> And then as I'm, I'm out for this walk and I've, I've named the acorn, I'm so happy. And then I came to this part of the sidewalk that was covered in broken glass. And for some reason I was barefoot and I stepped on this glass and got a shard of glass in my foot. And I reached down and took out this piece of glass and it was a glass key. <laughs> and then I woke up. <laughs> what does the key go to? It's been driving me crazy all these years. Yeah. That was fun to tell. I've never told that story in public before. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. No, it's true. I'd, I'd written that, that draft of Cress um, before Tangled came out. And I remember, not when I saw the movie so much, but when they first started promoting it and, like, started running previews. Uh, and I was really excited because, of course, I love fairy tales and I love Disney movies. And I was like, yay, Tangled, I'm so excited for this movie. And then I watched it and was like, hold on. <laughs> That's my prince. <laughs> wrote him um, and it was really super weird how similar the two of them are um, yeah that's I have no explanation but that does happen it happens sometimes another uh, character and I honestly don't know the timeline um, but the 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 pilot guy from Doctor Who yes. yeah that was another one that people were like you should watch this because there are some similarities and I was like yeah okay sure and then I watched it, it was like he's the exact same character <laughs> exact same character they even look alike the most difficult character for me to write of all of my characters Lunar Chronicles okay um Jason I'm gonna say Jason uh because he's so closed off, um, and he has to be for purposes in the story, 
But because he always has these walls up, like it was even hard for me to get to know him um, and, and hard to like break that down and, and write him because I love Jason and I totally get why Winter loves Jason. But to like find ways to show that to the reader when he's always just like, I have no emotions. <laughs> Do not manipulate me, evil queen. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have co-written stories back when I wrote fan fiction. That was so long ago um, that I, I honestly don't really remember. However, I will give you the advice um, that I, I got from Jessica Brody and Joanne Rendell, who, oh gosh, what's the name of the book? Um, Sky Without Stars, I think, is the name of the first one. It's awesome. Lunar Chronicles fans, you will love it. It's a science fiction retelling of Les Mis. It's so good. So good. Put it in your TBR right away. Um, anyway, so they're co-writing these books, and they're really fabulous. Um, and so I did an event with them, like, last year, I think it was, and asked them the same question, you know, when you are working together and you have opposing ideas, what do you do? Uh, and they said that they decided really early on that if one of them wanted to do one thing and the other wanted to do the other, that they would unanimously decide to scrap both ideas um, and keep working to find a third possibility that they both liked. Um, and they said that that's really forced them on a number of occasions to kind of keep pushing themselves and keep pushing the story in a way that really worked. Uh, favorite things, working in my pajamas. <laughs> is awesome not to be undervalued um I gosh I don't know I love being a writer truly I mean I I get to make up stories all the time I love meeting my characters I love like just coming up with fun scenes and and coming up with fun adventures uh and and I just truly enjoy doing it um and also like meeting readers and meeting other writers and I know there's a lot of things about this job that that are awesome uh, as far as what are some of the challenges of writing I mean of course there's days when like I don't feel like writing I'm tired I have other things to do today I'm distracted I'm you know whatever the excuse is um, and so it can of course be hard to push through that and get the work done because you have to get the work done um I don't know. These days, I mean, I love being on book tour and I love meeting readers, but it's hard to be away from my kids. That's a thing that I'm struggling with these days. Wah, wah. Would I let my kids read my books? Oh, absolutely, if they wanted to. They're only five right now, so we're not, they're clearly not ready for that. Um, it'll be interesting, because I know writers who like have teenage-aged friends and their kids are so not interested in reading their books. Um, and then they'll be like, but I'm friends with Marissa Meyer. And suddenly their teens are like, oh, cool. Now you're cool. I'm like, Haha. Um, no, so I have no idea. If my kids are not interested in my books, that's totally fine. Um, but I do hope that they'll be readers. Advice for aspiring writers. Who are my aspiring writers? Lots of you. Hello. Hello, all you lovely, lovely writers. Um, my advice. Uh, so obviously read and write like a lot. Was are really important. That's what everyone will tell you because it's the most important advice to just read and write as much as you can. Um, I also, like, I wish when I was aspiring that someone would have told me to be patient. Um, I was, I was not patient. I had this dream. I wanted to be a writer. Um, and as I mentioned before, like, I went through a lot of attempts of writing novels that ultimately fell apart and didn't work out. And every time that happened, I would be so frustrated. I mean, it was soul crushing. And I would just think, like, I'm a total failure, and I'm never going to get a, a novel finished, and I'm never going to get published, and my life is going to end. And I was, like, 17. Um, <laughs> truly. And I, I just would get so frustrated. And so I wish that I would have, like, had the, the space to step back and realize 
Like everything that I was writing, it wasn't wasted time. It wasn't wasted words. That's how I was learning. Um, and you need to go through that. You need to go through the process of learning how to write. You don't just write your first book and it magically gets published. Um, and so I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have uh, maybe been a little bit kinder to myself um, and realized that it's going to take time and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Just keep at it. Do your best and keep trying. One last question. How do I decide how to end my stories? Um, so some, a lot of times actually the ending really comes to me with the idea. Um, I often will know how a story is going to end before I start writing it. It's one of the first things that kind of comes into my mind. Um, and so then a lot of times as I'm, I'm planning and writing the story, it's like I have this destination in my mind that I'm heading toward. Um, on the rare occasion when that doesn't happen, um, uh, you kind of got to, there's, you have to decide, is this going to be a tragedy or is it a romance or like, is there a happy ending? Is there not a happy ending? And those are big questions that you as the writer have to tackle. Um, another thing that I'm constantly thinking as I'm writing the last chapter of a book, there's this idea that the, the last chapter should in some way mirror the first chapter, um, which kind of gives stories a very nice cyclical feel to them. Um, really, all of my books um, and all of my series. The beginning of a series will mirror the end of the series, but then each book, too, will have a mirror parallel somewhere in the first and last chapters. Um, and it's just kind of a callback, and it suggests to the reader, like, we started here, see how far we've come. Um, and so that's something that I'm always thinking about, too, as I'm, I'm wrapping up a book or a series. All right. Thank you guys so much.